When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. Welcome back. It's the first podcast of the year. Lots of changes everywhere. A new season, a new division, one new player, but some of the same old dramas rearing their head once again. And with Fulhamish, it's all changed as well. A new lick of paint on the logo, you might have noticed. A new podcast network, but the same old faces on the Thursday Club. So I am delighted to welcome back the usual crew, Jack Collins. Hello. Hello, listeners. Hello, Sammy. It's good to be back. It's good to be back. Oh, wonderful to be back. And the Athletic UK's Peter Rutzler still with us for another season of fun. Hey, Sammy. Hey, Jack. Hi, everybody. How are we doing? We good? We happy? Optimistic? We'll get there. We'll get there. Well, I mean, look, we've been away from the podcast a little bit longer than we'd have liked. We've had tweets of plenty of um, get back podcasting. Uh, I had one on Sunday, which was particularly funny, which was um, release a podcast, you cowards. Um, So glad to be behind a microphone once again uh, and hopefully part of your routine between now and May. One podcast a week, at least until the start of the season. And as ever, once the season started, two podcasts a week. Uh, I mentioned about the new network, by the way. So Fulhamish, the podcast, no longer part of The Athletic UK, but we are delighted that Peter can stay on. That was the most important part of it. So Peter, we're delighted to have you again for another season, uh, giving us all your insights into your latest articles. So I'm glad we could uh, get those contract negotiations through. Slightly less protracted than those contract negotiations for Mana Solomon. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit less protracted, I think. Um, but no, delighted to still be here and uh, can annoy you too on a Thursday. So uh, that's all good with me. Absolutely. Great. Well, there's tons to get into today. Um, it's been a dramatic summer. Uh, we all thought that when Fulham got promoted automatically, it would just be a summer of bliss with easy transfers and no Did bickering. Did you think that? Did you no, think that I really? <laughs> no, no, I didn't think that. Um, well, where do we start? I think probably with the one confirmed transfer, João Polinia. Jack will probably tell me off for pronouncing that wrong. Well, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of snark for me, but um, I think it's João Polinia. Oh, I wasn't far off. Okay. Confirmed transfer on Monday, Peter. Uh, about 20 million euros was the reported fee from Sporting and a really exciting signing. When the rumours of this one came through, I, I think a lot of us thought, OK, but that's a long shot. He's a, he's a very talented player. But um, there was a battle with Wolves. It seems that Fulham uh, came out on top. It doesn't seem that Fulham came out on top. Fulham did come out on top uh, in that battle to to secure his services. And uh, a midfield enforcer, not the centre-back that lots of people want, but I think he'll be absolutely crucial uh, to us next season, particularly with the departure of Seri. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I think this will be a really key piece in the the Fulham jigsaw. Quite clearly, a, a key target for for Fulham and, and for Marco Silva as well, and a player who is probably a little bit different to to the majority of of Premier League players who've come over to the Premier League. You know, he's he's far more defensively minded, and we've seen the players that tend to succeed. They tend to be those technical players, don't they? That have done well. That said, you've got Ruben Diaz and Jao Jao Cancelo, and I'm sure Jack may may touch on that a little bit more. But from from what I've been hearing and from from those I've been speaking to about uh, Palinha. This is quite clearly a, almost a bit of a coup, I think, for Fulham, because considering I know that last season probably he didn't quite hit the same height, even then still an important part of Ruben Amarin's sporting team. You know, heading into the delayed Euros last summer, he was fantastic. Uh, a linchpin in that sporting team, pushed himself into the national side, adapted seamlessly, a really solid player, a defensive midfielder who is aggressive 
can win the ball back um, and has also really improved on his ball distribution. Um, switching the play is something he does very often and very effectively uh, for his former club. So um, I think he ticks a lot of boxes. I think he fits straight into Silver's system. I think adaptation, of course, would be the interesting thing because it always is with, with any new recruit, but he's been playing in a 3-4-3 for, for two seasons, uh, playing in a two in midfield. And, and, and you do wonder whether Silver may pivot towards having him alongside Reed. And you actually, the two different profiles of defensive midfielders there that seem to complement each other quite well. So, um, look, it's, it's the kind of player you need. Fulham need to be solid in midfield. Um, they won't have the same time on the ball that they had last year. They need someone who can break up the play, can can help launch counterattacks, and um, Palina seems to be that. So to to get him to to pit Wolves to the mark, which they did, um, to get him for about seventeen million pounds, it's it's a hefty sum. It's it's going to be one of the the bigger transfers this summer, um, but it looks like a, a good one. Uh, obviously, time will tell if that that turns out to be the case, but um, certainly certainly bodes well. Jack, you must be delighted to have another Portuguese uh, in SW6. Yeah, absolutely over the moon. I, I mean, look, mostly I'm absolutely over the moon because I think this is the f- the profile that Fulham have been crying out for. And actually, you know, we have talked a lot about centre backs, and, and we do need a centre back. No one's no one's denying that, probably too. Um, but you're looking at this and thinking, right? How do you get the best out of your centre backs? How do teams protect their centre backs? They put in a player who has the right profile in front of them in order to be able to give them that shield and that protection you need. And you only need to look at someone like Manchester United right to look at how center backs can be exposed and made to look far worse than they are by not having the shield the requisite shield in front of them to be able to play the way that they want to play now i think palinia gives fulham this player it gives a player who is happy to sit who is going to be able to kind of patrol that midfield area and make sure that counterattacks aren't slicing through us like they did the last time we were in the premier league or at least the first time of late we we returned to the premier league where fulham were torn apart at times i think you know you look at parker's fulham and the reason that there was so little attacking flair partly was due to the fact that the personnel in the middle wasn't able to give you that base to build from. And therefore, you can only leave a couple of players in the attacking third in order to try and make things happen. Now, obviously, that frustrated people. It frustrated me. I'm not suggesting that's the only reason. But part of it is, okay, why do we think that why do we think that they went five at the back? Why do we think that Fulham had so many pe- players behind the ball all the time? Partly because Parker is a conservative manager, sure. But partly also because the profiles of bodies in the midfield weren't there to be able to produce that kind of stopper in the middle. And look, I think what's brilliant about Polina is not only is he aerially dominant, not only is he physically dominant, not only is he a ball-winning machine in the centre of the park. Obviously, the adaptation period is important here and, and that's what he was for Sporting and, and what he would be for, you know, what he has been for the Portugal Celisao as well. But equally, when you're when you're looking at this, you're looking at a player who provides all of those qualities. The qualities that someone like Kevin McDonald, right, provided for Fulham, but not in the Premier League, really. We're looking at, you know, a, a gap that Fulham have had for a long, long time here, where they didn't have a, a proper enforcer, a proper number six, who was going to sit in front of the midfield. And I know some people like Harrison Reed in there, but I've said this from the kind of start that don't see Harrison Reed as a lone six, especially not in the Premier League, where there is so much on physicality and aerial dominance in that area. You want him to be able to buzz around and destroy at will, be able to kind of leave his mark and and push forwards in order to win the ball in important areas, because that's what Harrison Reed is best at. He is a destructive little dynamo in there and he's able to get around and make those things happen. I think Palinia will give him the base in order to bounce off that and be able to to do the things he's best at. And this is what I mean about, you know, providing that shield for the defence. Yes, Fulham need to get centre-backs in, but giving them something in front of them that's going to protect whoever's in that zone anyway, I think is almost as important, maybe more important. Yeah, I'm so excited by this transfer. It seems like a really, really smart move. Um, And it's a good start, Peter, but it's a start that came a lot, lot slower than pretty much anyone would have wanted by this point. I think all summer um, there's been two camps on Fulham Twitter anyway, where you've got one side who are saying, oh, it's fine. We just need to get players in a few weeks before. We don't need players in May and June. And I was firmly in that camp. And then it became quite apparent that Fulham were at least waiting until July to make any signings because of financial fair play. But 
when those players didn't literally arrive on the 1st of July, um, people were getting pretty mad. The Polinia transfer has come in. Solomon has been so protracted. And then uh, you basically dropped an atomic bomb on Fulham Twitter over the weekend with your article stating that Silva is pretty unhappy with how things have panned out this summer. Um, the advantage of getting promoted automatically seems to have evaporated. Um, tell me all about the process of this story coming to light, because as you say, it was uh, a pretty explosive uh, revelation when Silva came out. And one, as I mentioned at the top, we're all familiar with. We remember Slav's meltdowns famously pretty much every summer um, that the signings didn't weren't going his way. So it seems like Silver has uh, made the same play. Yeah, I think um, you sort of divided it quite well there, Sammy, in terms of the, the two different camps. And I guess Silver Silver's position is now pretty pretty clear on how the window has gone in terms of these delays and in bringing players through the door. Um, as, as we reported over the weekend, you know, he's was unhappy about how slow it's been in, in getting players in through the door. He was unhappy about returning to Motspur Park to start pre-season with 10 outfield players. Of course, there were four other players as well who he's not included in the group um, because he wants them to be moved on. That's Josh Onomo, Anthony Knockart, Avin Cavallero and Terence Congolo. Um, and, it, and, it, and it sort of voiced that fr- frustration, really. Um, you know, we've, we've been talking about different targets. You know, Pelina's one. That had been, you know, had been discussed for a while, but it took a little time to get over the line. And, and Silver, Silver felt that he'd persuaded Polina to join the club three weeks before he eventually did. Obviously, there was the delay with agency commission as well, which which didn't help. And then, of course, Manuel Solomon, which um, has, has pretty much been the, the saga of the summer because that that was talked about months and months ago. And um, you know, Fulham Fulham came to came close to an agreement. Um, uh, for for seven million euros for him, um, that didn't happen. It was a a move that was impacted by FIFA's regulations on U- Ukrainian-based foreign players, uh, and the, and the same Russia allowing them to register elsewhere. Um, and that once they extended that ruling on June the twenty first, um, it would mean that from June the thirtieth, if if Shakhtar or any other Ukrainian club had not come to some kind of mutual agreement with their players, they, they could essentially leave for free for a season. Um, and with Fulham's deal not not finalised, that that dragged on. Um, those negotiations were affected by that. Um, and now my understanding is it looks like it's going to be a loan that, that, that Solomon will, 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 should, all being well, we can see now this transfer has gone, um, <laughs> signed for Fulham. Um, so... In that in that context, uh, especially considering if you think back to the end of the season, where you know there was a lot of emphasis on how important that time gap is that Fulham have. You know, we talked about it. Tony Khan talked about it in his interview with Daniel Taylor at the Athletic. Um, Marco Silva spoke publicly about it as well. You know, this was more time than Fulham have had before upon promotion, and they wanted to take advantage of it. And there are loads of different elements to this because, you know, it's not like Fulham have just been sitting there doing nothing because that's just not the case. Um, they have been looking for players. We've seen that. You can see that from from the links and, and from, from what I've reported. And that they, they but actually getting them over the line is, has, has just not materialised. And that frustration for Silver is, has, is, is very clear. And, um, you know, it's it's... It's something that you don't want to fester. You don't want this kind of environment. It's not a good thing. You can't have your manager like this at pre-season's beginning. You know, the Premier League season hasn't started yet. Um, but I think for a, from a manager's perspective, he's looking at it going, right, I need my players in. You look at the first seven fixtures, it's four of the top, last year's top six. There's two West London derbies in there. It's a hard start. And last time Fulham in the Premier League, that terrible start really did have an impact. It essentially wrote off those first few games. Fulham missed out on survival. Um, and despite good recruitment, and we praise that recruitment, um, it wasn't quite enough. And sure, there's the argument that Fulham should have stayed up, and they, they probably should have done in the end, considering how well they did. Um, but, you know, Fulham and Silver wants to avoid that kind of start, and um, doing so requires requires trying to get business done early, getting that squad together, getting them prepared for, for, for Liverpool on the opening day of the season. And, and right now, that, that's not the case. You know, right now, it's just Jao Palinho who's come in. So 
until that materially changes, you, you're going to have a, an unhappy manager. Uh, Jack, where's your sense of panic on the scale? Um, it's still over four weeks still the start of the season. Uh, it's four weeks on Saturday until that first game um, against Liverpool. And in an ideal world, it would be perfect if Fulham had made four or five signings before pre-season started. They all met on the first day and I don't know what they do on the first day at the training ground, sing Whitney Houston on a chair, um, all of those good things. But it's not happened that way. I don't feel like I'm in a sense of, oh, it's all going wrong, but also it, it, it has been slower than I'd, I'd hoped. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm on the concerned edge of things, was, is how I would probably put it. I, I was willing to give it the benefit of the doubt until that first weekend in July for you know, FFP reasons. I can understand that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I am now a bit like, okay, you know, and, and Peter makes a the point there, right? He started with 10 outfielders in. In, in, in pre-season now obviously there are returning internationals etc which bumps that number up a little bit you'd imagine that there's a couple of the academy boys who are going to be pushing in pre-season to you know to try and make their names Jay Stansfield Luke Harris who you know will have seen what Fabio was able to do and and, and be looking to try and prove their worth in, in pre-season to Marco Silva but you know that number hasn't bumped up all that much right we're we're looking still at a what 15 maybe outfielders here that in preseason right now which just isn't enough bearing in mind that this season substitutes go up the benches get bigger um these you know these are options that that Fulham need to have now it doesn't need to be all hands on deck before the season begins obviously there will be business done in august there always is it's just how the world works but you you'd imagine that that needs to be at least 20 outfielders before this season begins if fulham are going to stand a fighting chance and the quicker you get those through the door the quicker the squad gels the quicker everyone feels a bit more comfortable the quicker that everything you know falls into place for marco silva because he's got to work out how he's going to adapt a system from last year which was completely ball dominant um to a system that isn't going to be that anymore now i know obviously in that article that, that peter wrote at the end of last year he said that he doesn't want to change the style completely he wants to you know keep the, the basic principles the same, that Fulham are going to attack in transition, that Fulham are going to try and have the ball as much as we can. But ultimately, we know that there are maybe 10 teams in the Premier League, minimum, who are going to out-possess Fulham in a standard game just by sheer quality of, of bodies on the pitch. And Marco Silva has to adapt his philosophy and strategy to that in order to make this work for Fulham. Now, the quicker he has the pieces in place to try and make that happen, the quicker that Fulham will look like a unit. And I think, you know, Peter made that point. The start last year killed us. The start last time killed us. And, and that's such an important period. And especially with a couple of winnable games in that period, you know, you're doubling down on, you know, obviously you're looking at the Liverpool game, first game of the season, you're thinking... Okay, all right. You're looking at the Spurs game and thinking it's going to be very, very difficult to pick anything out of these games. But there are winnable games in these first six. And I think when when you have that opportunity to waste it by waiting late in the window to get deals is a real concern. Now, it's easy to say this from a position of we're not trying to get these deals over the line. Deals are hard and, and transfers are difficult and there's loads and loads and loads of moving parts in them. But Fulham had the head start. And it feels like that head start has potentially been a little bit wasted. Jack, one player that Fulham have been linked with for ages before promotion was even confirmed is Mana Solomon. It's mad how long this has dragged out. We first talked about him back in April. Um, it's now July and it's still not finalised. Um, it's been the will he, won't he saga of the summer. Um, nice seems to keep chipping in, trying to sign him. Um, if uh, reports are led to be believed, every time that we think we've got him, just Nice seem to pop up. And I'm just like, go away, Nice. Um, just like, let us have this player, please. You know, you're just winding us up at this stage. Anyway, Fulham and Shakhtar come close to concluding a 7 million euro agreement for Solomon um, last month. Obviously, there's his new FIFA ruling about Ukraine-based foreign players. And it seems now that it's going to be a loan. And a lot of fans are asking, I think rightly so, are Fulham doing the dirty here? Are Fulham being a little bit immoral, taking advantage of a situation that is outside of Shakhtar's control and using it for their own benefit? On the other hand, you could say, well, Fulham are legitimately using the rules. Why would they pay money now 
when they don't need to, when there is a way of making it work for them? It's not a simple question, but I wondered what your thoughts were on it. Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think all of it's very, very important, but it's... (sighs) It's obviously incredibly murky, I think, is the other the other kind of point here to, to make. It's not clear cut um, because so much of this is behind the scenes. So much of it is on FIFA's kind of not political stance, but you know what I mean, um, and, and their stance of how this is going to work out. And that makes it incredibly hard to read. Um, what I will say is that Benfica have completed a deal for David Neres, which was much cheaper than you'd imagine. I think it was about 12 million euros um, f- for him from, from Shakhtar. We've seen, you know, this Shakhtar side basically raided um, and, and rinsed for, for, you know, for their players. And look, a lot of these players are people looking to either go to a World Cup or to progress their careers or to play, you know, regular football. Now, Shakhtar are going to be playing Champions League football next season, which is a bit weird. Um, and, and I read a really, really good piece um, with Dario Serna, who's the kind of director of football there, um, about what he wants to achieve and what he wants to show in the Champions League next year. And he basically said that we're going to put together a team of Ukrainian players and they're going to play for Shakhtar. And that's going to be the the kind of point we're going down so I think they've come to a point where they are at the very least not pleased about it but at the very least they've come to an acceptance of the situation that a lot of foreign players are going to leave straight away we saw you know Tete go to to Leon um in the back of last year on a loan deal temporarily that seems to have been extended now for another year so so there's a lot going on here right there's a lot of different things happening at Shakhtar and a lot of players moving around and what I will say is that it gave me a distinct sense of unease um, the way that the Fulham have gone about this. Now, obviously, it's easy for me to say this, it's not my money. Um, and, and I'm not the one who has to spend it. And, and therefore, I'm not the one investing. And it's easy to talk about other people's money and just be like, we'll just pay it. Uh, why would you just pay it? Um, when, when you're not actually benefiting or, or, or regressing from that investment. But the whole thing gives me a real distinct sense of uneasiness and the fact that I just don't feel comfortable with how the saga has played out. Now, obviously, we don't know every detail and therefore we don't know exactly what's gone on between player and club and, and, and between the two clubs and how it's all worked out for them. But the kind of noises coming out of Shakhtar's camp don't fill me with you know a great feeling. That That's how I'd put it. I, I think we've probably been a little bit sneaky here um, and, and I'd, I'd rather we weren't. It doesn't really feel fit my kind of ideal of what Fulham is but again it's not my money so it's easy for me to say that yeah okay well we'll see um, exactly what happens um, and what the confirmed uh, deal is assuming that that goes across the line soon which fingers crossed um, it will once his uh, medical and all of that um, happens I've been I feel like with Mana Solomon on Twitter I've been seeing daily updates of his holiday um, every time I log on to Twitter um, it's uh, which hotel he's staying in and which flight um, he's on um, I'm near Farnborough Airport by the way guys so if anyone wants me to you Just know track down, the planes mate, in the sky <laughs> yeah I'm more than happy to to take on that role uh, for for the Fulham fan base. Um, Peter, the final signing that I want to come on to for now, Andreas Pereira. This one um, looks like it's getting across the line. Um, you've reported a £10 million deal with Man United and it seems like the player... Well, at first it didn't look like he wanted to sign for Fulham. Now it appears that the deal uh, is wow. happening. I'd say that if you ask the fan base, everyone's very excited about Jao Polina. Everyone's very excited about Mana Solomon if it happens. I don't think the, the mood in the fan base is quite as strong on Pereira. I'll be honest that I don't know an awful lot um, about him. There is a bit of kind of Man United baggage that comes with this. It's also always a bit of scepticism, I think, when a player who hasn't made it a top club goes down a level because they haven't made it there so there's always that kind of skepticism but yeah I, I guess it's maybe the downgrade of of Carvalho to Pereira it, it doesn't feel it, it, I'm not I'm not that excited by it I, I'll, I'll agree with with a lot of people here yeah I think the mood music doesn't help as you mentioned you know he's been at a top club um whose supporters will be pleased to see him go and I think we've seen that from sort of the social media reaction and then you've got the fact that he's been at Flamengo where he's been really happy you know and he's talked about that and, you know, I think it, it, in a different, different circumstances, he'd probably want to stay there. I think he's, he sort of made that pretty clear. So the, the, naturally that, that triggers some concerns. It triggers some concerns because obviously last time for in the Premier League, 
Fulham loaned Ruben Loftus Cheek, and it didn't exactly go amazingly well. Um, That's the understatement of the century. Yeah, yeah. There's a reason. <laughs> nice one. Good to see you picking up on that sarcasm, Jack. Um, look, there are different factors here, and I, I think what what should be more encouraging is the fact that United have kept him on their books for so long. He's clearly a talented player. Not really been able to show that consistently in English football. What bodes well for him is that he's joining a club which is has a growing uh, Portuguese-speaking contingent. It's going to be a good environment for him to thrive. We know Silva's style of play is attacking. We know that he likes a, a creative midfielder who can play in that eight slash ten position. Um, sure, he's got. I think he's got points to prove. I think we probably looking at Carvalho. You know, he's he scored goals, and I don't think Pereira has shown that he can do that to that extent. And it would be difficult in the Premier League, but. There are elements to it that should be encouraging. And the fee fee from, from what we reported uh, on Tuesday, um, 8 million up front, 2 million add-ons, is a, is a good fee. It's not, it's not a bank breaker, if you, if you see what I mean. Um, again, as Jack was saying earlier, it's, it's not my money, so <laughs> I'm sure there'd be different It would be a that. bank breaker for you. It would be more than that, I think. Um, <laughs> life breaker. Um, <laughs> um but listen, I, I I feel like there's a reason Marco Silva has, has gone after him and, and wants this signing. Um, and, you know, I don't know how quickly this will be confirmed and, and whether he, you know, we, we've reported there's been an accepted offer, whether whether this does fully go through. I, it looks like this will be the case. But, you know, there there, is, there are positives to take, I think, from him. But there, compared to the others... I think there are probably more question marks and, and in that context of it, of how people are feeling about it at the different clubs he's been at, you know, that, that doesn't bode well, but a fresh start could be, could be the making of him. Jack, your thoughts on Pereira? Yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? I mean, he's, he's kind of struggled almost wherever he's gone. He did all right at Granada when he was there. Um, he had a, he had a relatively decent spell there. He struggled at Valencia, struggled at Lazio, seems to have had a really good time at Flamengo. And I do wonder if part of the reason he's loved it so much there is not only obviously it's, well, it's not his homeland, he was born in Belgium, but he, he is the, it's that land that he represents. Um, it's the, you know, the country of his, his family. He was, you know, son of, of another professional footballer, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, a, a Brazilian professional footballer. Um, and he was born in Belgium because his dad was playing in Belgium at the time. Um, gotcha. And sort of he's had lots of different kind of, he, his, his career has kind of gone in lots of different directions. He's played in Holland, he's played in Spain, he's played in Italy, he's played in in Brazil and he's played in England. Um, and so, you know, that's a, that's a lot for someone who's, you know, 26. He, he's done a lot of, he's done a lot of moving about and never really found, I think, at, at home. And part of me wonders if the reason he loved Flamengo so much is because he did well there and he was loved there. Um, and it was the first place he was given that kind of, okay, show us what you can do and have a, you know, a, a long run in the team and, and, and play. And, and he kind of grew into himself a little bit. And, and so therefore, you know, not only going back to, you know, the land of, your fathers but also the idea of playing somewhere that you are kind of cradled and cherished is massive for a player who's bounced around for his basic whole career right so that's what I'm kind of looking at here and I wonder if he gets to Fulham and he is loved and given that opportunity that he'd shine and, and, and love it here as well and Yes, there's massive questions, as Peter says, um, but it does feel like a gamble on a player who needs to make a point, and that feels better to me than a gamble on a player who has nothing to prove. Yeah, I'm hoping there's a, a, a touch of the Harry Wilsons um, in this, a player who moved around on loan, um, I think in his heart of hearts, dreamed of playing for the big club that he was signed for, and uh, as the years progressed, quietly realised probably that he was never going to um, make it there. I mean, Man United's been a basket case of a club to, to be at in for the last kind of however many years ever been yeah. Sir Alex left, really. So if it does happen, not my first choice of player, but also I'm hoping that could come in there, prove himself. It's a permanent deal. I would be very, very wary of a loan in this circumstance, but on a permanent deal, you just never know the mindset of a player. So fingers crossed. And um, Jack, just before we take a break, I just wondered if there was any other transfer gossip activity that you thought was pertinent to bring up. The Romagnoli one is the one for me that 
Seems like he's playing Fulham to get another move. I thought you might want to expand on him and, and potentially a couple other deals that seem to be more in the gossip chamber for the moment. Yeah, it feels like a really weird one. Obviously, he was out of contract at Milan this summer. You know, it's easy to forget he was Milan club captain. Um, he's 27 years old. He feels a lot older than that because he feels like he's been coming through forever, right? It's, it's one of those. Um, if I'm not mistaken, he grew up a Lazio fan playing for Roma, which is a bit nuts. Um, but now yeah. there's this kind of link back to Lazio. And, you know, I think in his heart of hearts, he would probably prefer to play to Lazio, the club he grew up supporting in, you know, the nation he's never left. He's played for Roma and Sampdoria and, and Milan and would probably quite like to stay in Serie A. Um, but Fulham have basically doubled the offer that, that Lazio have. And that's that's kind of where he's at. So it's a little bit uncomfortable in the idea of, does he want to be here? Um, and I, I think it's a bit different to the Pereira one because with Pereira, I think his... I don't want to be here is that I want to be in somewhere that I'm loved and I want to be at Flamengo because I know that's there. Um, now that's not financially possible, financially viable. So there is slightly different elements to this. This feels like Fulham are just like, please come, please come. Um, and she's like, I tell you what, we'll double your wage offer. Um, that, that That's where we're at. And you know what? It's a really hard one. It's a really difficult one because Romagnoli, when he came through at Roma, was absolutely unbelievable. You know, he and, he and he went out to Samp, was excellent. And then suddenly Milan were like, right, we'll have him. Brilliant. 25 million euros, I think it was at the time, um, with a sell-on clause. Um, and he did really well for a little while. And then he, he got into, he's got nearly 200 caps, you know, for, for Milan. He, he's, he's made a lot of appearances. He's been there for seven odd years. But, you know, that's that a lot of, of games. And he, he he was a brilliant, brilliant defender. You know, it's a man with 12 Italy caps. Um, but he has struggled recently with injuries. And while he's a brilliant ball player, I'm a bit concerned about how it fits because he, since coming back from injury, he's been usurped. He's now, he was, you know, Milan's fourth choice centre-back by the end last year. Kalulu came in from right back and became a centre-back. Um, Tomori came through, obviously. There was Kier. Um, and it felt like they were kind of turning to anyone as opposed to the club captain, which is not a great position to be in. And that's because when he came back from his injury, you know, the, the things that were brilliant about him, he was an unbelievable one-on-one -on -one defender. He was an absolute, you know, beast one-on-one -on -one. just didn't let players pass him and I remember I think it was against Sassuolo uh, Gregoire Frel was running at him and he just looked so scared it was rabbit in the headlight stuff and I'm like hang on you're Milan's club captain you can't look like this and he absolutely scythed him down one-on-one -on -one last man got sent off and it was like ah oh. it's really uncomfortable to watch a player in that kind of decline um, now he's had loads of injuries knee injuries I think he's got a replacement hip um, you know this is a player who once was you know a very sprightly mobile centre back um, and now he look, when he turns it's a bit like a truck turning and, and that worries me now he is still a very very good ball player right he's still an excellent passer of the ball um, and there is a distinct possibility that with a run of games and a run of fitness Romagnoli could get back to being a player who is you know raising Fulham's roof he's you know he's, he would at full fitness at full strength Romagnoli would be the best defender at the club by some distance um, but we haven't seen that player for sort of three years um, and that concerns me deeply and, and for what we're looking at paying him and the contract we're looking at offering him I'm concerned about it. I'm concerned about his mobility. I'm concerned about his defensive now these days. Um, and there's real errors crept into his game. And I'm just concerned that if that happens in the Premier League, the fans will turn on him really quickly because he was meant to be the marquee signing at the back and suddenly he's falling over himself and letting players through and taking out players one-on-one -on -one last man and getting sent off. I don't know how patient people will be with that. And, and, and I think that's fair enough. But it's, you know, one of those where he needs to be given a long recovery period in order to get himself back to the standard he's available. And I don't know if we have that period. I don't know if we have that runway. I mean, it doesn't sound like it's um, likely to happen anyway if um, he, he wants to go to Lazio, even though the financials um, are good. It's not one that I've ever really seriously thought was going to happen. Um, Peter, just uh, before we finish, um, where are we on the rumour spreadsheet um you were in the 60s 70s back uh back in may um or have you given it up because it's impossible to keep uh track of all the rumors well because i was away for a couple of weeks i feel like i missed it like a, a load so i haven't and then when i've come back it's been like been in a washing machine with all the news that's happening so 
uh, with, I'm still late 60s, I think. I think, okay. I think I've only, I, to be fair, there's been a few added on. So I think I've only recently come into the 60s. But uh, there's actually probably more. And I probably need to, when I get a moment, actually just go back and check that I haven't missed back to Cameram's rumor mill. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Um, but yeah. It's more than 70, but I haven't updated the list. So, um, okay. Yes. Okay. Well, it's, uh, I can't wait for that article uh, to come out when, uh, when Peter does the full breakdown of every rumor, uh, from the entire summer. Um, that's going to be a, a, a nice long read on the athletic that I'll enjoy on my holiday in September. Once the transfer windows open, right. Uh, we'll take a break there afterwards. We're going to have a look at Fulham's start of the season. This episode is brought to you by Shopify, whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James here with Peter Rutzler and Jack Collins. Uh, Just to say that this podcast uh, is backed by you guys over on the Fulhamish community. Thank you to all of you uh, who support us over there. Keep our uh, articles, podcasts, videos going. As a bonus, we give you access to uh, the Fulhamish Telegram, uh, which has been really, really fun this summer. Um, It's come into its own, particularly with uh, transfer season. We have three different chats on there we kind of got a general Fulham chat a transfers chat uh, a pubs and away days chat which as you can imagine the pubs and away days chat has died away a little bit uh, in the summer as there's been no matches but the transfers chat uh, has been something else I'm legitimately getting uh, most of my latest news from the the telegram because um, a lot of the people in there are super switched on so um, it's a way of supporting Fulhamish as a bonus you get access to the telegram uh, all details on the Fulhamish website if you go to the Fulhamish website, uh, click the little support Fulhamish button at the top uh, if you are interested in joining and can afford to do so. But of course, this podcast and everything else that we do remains completely free and open if you don't want to or can't afford to support us. It's completely up to you. Right. Let's have a look then at Fulham's start of the season. Uh, the fix just came out. Always that little bit of extra excitement, Peter, um, when you change division. Uh, certainly when you go up division, there's a little less excitement when you go down a division, uh, as we well know. And uh, we mentioned it earlier, Fulham start of the season. Uh, home to Liverpool on the 6th of August. Uh, that's 12th. 30 kickoff away to Wolves home to Brentford so our second match uh, at Craven Cottage uh, is a West London derby uh, we've got uh, Arsenal at the Emirates and Brighton at home before August um, is out of course it's a strange season given the fact that the World Cup uh, divides it um, and in November the season stops it doesn't come back until Boxing Day it's a tough start for Fulham, but then again, I'm not sure. It, it's a bit of a, the Premier League's always, there's always tough fixtures in there. You play Unless everyone twice. You do play everyone twice. There's only so much you can analyse it. Um, but given how badly Fulham has started in the past couple of Premier League seasons, I'm hopeful that Fulham can get a win earlier on the board than we have the previous two times, particularly the first time in the Premier League. You know, we got that one Burnley win and that was it for pretty much the first three months of the season. So Fulham need to to get underway. Potentially that Brentford match could be pretty crucial three games in. Yeah, I suppose you can always overanalyze this a little bit, but I I think you're right just because of the fact that Fulham starts during the last two Premier League stays were not good. You, you want to get some something on the board because once once you know last last time in the Premier League it just it looked like Fulham were cut adrift and it never and never really were able to recover. You're always chasing and it, it maybe takes the heat off a little bit 
Um, you, d- you don't want to apply that heat too early because it's gonna, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of pressure this season. Um, you would expect uh, unless, unless Fulham do extraordinarily well. But you look at that opening month, um, Wolves, Brentford, Brighton, there's opportunities for points there, as Jack was saying earlier, because once you hit September, that the outlook becomes a little bit more uh, difficult with, with Tottenham and, and Chelsea in, in swift succession. So taking some points in, in those games would just, just change the mood a little bit. I mean, obviously there's still the, the transfer window there. You don't, you don't want it to get to the end of, end of August again and feel like God Fulham are not equipped here. And, and suddenly we're, it's, it's deadline day madness again. As I said, you, you don't want to overanalyze it too much in terms of the games, but considering the fact that there's Wolves and Brentford in the middle of August, you, you want the team to be in a strong position by that point and, and, and are able to take something from those games. But, you know, this is the Premier League, you know, and the Premier League consistently seems to get tougher. That gap between the Championship and the Premier League seems to get wider because once you have so much money, you know, 100, 100 million at least in television uh, broadcast rights going through your accounts every year, that's going to strengthen the collective across the league um, from 17th to 1st. So, um, you know, for all three of the, the promoted sides, it's going to be a challenge, but it's taking those points when you can get them. And, you know, Wolves, Wolves are a little bit uneasy. Obviously, Fulham signed Palinia, and I think there was an expectation that he may go there. And Brentford have obviously lost Christian Eriksen, which is a huge blow. It would be really difficult to replace him because he had such an impact in the Brentford was really struggling when before he came in and transformed their season pretty much so you know as it stands there's opportunities there but uh, you know <laughs> you can always twist twist around as I did earlier in the podcast and point out that it's four of the four of last year's top six in the first seven and two West London derby so um, let's see yeah, it's a weird one. Obviously, you do play everyone tired, so I wasn't joking about that, but it is, it's a phrase that I was using in jest. Um, and look, you only no, have it's to, fair enough. You only, no, but it, it, the, the order they come in does matter. Um, and like, you know, you, you only have to look at, at Brentford last season, and obviously I hate saying this, but it's true. Um, you, you look at the fact that they started like a train and that probably kept them up. Like, to, to be perfectly honest with you, that and a, and a wee like rally at the end of the season with Christian Eriksen probably kept them in the division. Because you don't win those first, you know, three games that they won, and, and, and suddenly they were, you know, flying. They were fourth at one point. Everyone was like, "Oh my god, they're going to get Champions League." Um, but you know, it, it did feel like one of those games where you looked at it and think, "Okay, they got Arsenal at a really good time to begin with. They they won that first game, and everyone gets a massive boost, and suddenly the the vibes are up, and everyone's you know together and, and moving forward. And that's what you want, right? You want everybody to be in the in the same place in the same direction moving forward. You lose your first six, everyone starts bickering." That's how it is. And that's not, there's nothing wrong with that. That's just how, just how football works. You go on a losing streak, everyone gets upset. The manager starts trying to change things. He starts trying to work through different solutions. And suddenly you're kind of working on the fly to try and make things happen. And that's exactly what happened to Fulham last time. You know, you win a couple of those first six and you're thinking, okay, all right, we might have lost to Liverpool. Sure, you know, that, that's okay. We might have lost to Arsenal. You get points out of Brentford and Brighton and, and Wolves, as, as Peter said, you know, you're kind of like, okay, we're getting into September. You've got five, seven points on the board. You're like, okay, we could do this. You know, there, there, there will be teams who start worse than that. Absolutely no doubt there will be a couple of teams at the bottom of the table at the start of September who have not one, two points. Um, you could pick up five or seven. You would be, you're in a position where you're thinking, okay, can we start to to move forwards and, and, and push things onwards and get ourselves into... I don't think anyone thinks that Fulham are going to survive in relative comfort next season. I think that would be nonsense. Um, but I do think if you can get yourself into a position where teams are chasing you and teams are panicking and changing managers and, and you know working around solutions that they didn't have at the start of the season, that's a good place to be in. You want to be being chased, um, and and ultimately, unless you're you know whoever's playing England cricket, um, you, you that is literally the, the kind of point you're you're making. You want people to be looking up and going, "Hang on." You want your teams like Everton last year to be looking up and going, Fulham have been promoted. How are they there when we're down here? We need to change everything immediately. We need to mix things up. We need to try and find something to do. You want people, you know, panicking and scrambling underneath you. And and I think a decent start is really important to that. Uh, and there's a really um, important uh, period in the fixtures, I think, uh, end of September uh, to the end of October. Um, seven games, uh, not none of them against the traditional uh, top six, uh, West Ham in there. I and mean, we obviously have had a couple of uh, brilliant seasons, but uh, there's a little run, particularly Bournemouth Villa leads Everton. Looks absolutely crucial. Um, but 
you know, you know, who knows that Villa might be a, a, a top six, seven side this year. Everton might have a resurgence. They've, you know, signed James Tarkowski. Maybe that'll fix some of their problems. It's impossible to know exactly who's going to be at the bottom, apart from maybe you can probably assume that two or three out of the promoted sides are going to be there. Other than that, and we talked about at the end of last season, Jack, impossible to know really from the rest of the Premier League who's going to thrive and who's going to who's going to dive really in, in, in the coming season because so much changes with all the transfers going on. Each each club really seems to be doing a bit of a refit of their squad um, to some extent. Right, we're going to take another break there. After that, we've got a couple of questions and one very, very good. This will catch on. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. It is Sammy here with Jack and Peter. Let's do a couple of questions first. Uh, There's been a couple coming through. Um, First of all, uh, let's go to David Smith. He says, hi team, for the next pod, I was wondering if you'd be able to shed some light on the thinking behind renewing Steven Sessegnon's contract only to loan him out to Charlton. If the third tier is his level at 22, it's hard to see the benefits of keeping him. And that's thanks from David. Uh, also a similar point on someone like Sonny Hilton, Jack, who has gone on loan to Carlisle. I felt like he was a really hot prospect, but to be going to League Two at 23, which I think he is, seems like maybe a death knell in his future at Fulham. Um, is it a case of Fulham just holding on maybe just in case he absolutely is a late bloomer and flies for not an awful lot of money? But it does seem like... Well, Steven Sessegnon, I wasn't even 100% sure if he was a championship right back, let, let alone a Premier League one. Yeah, um, obviously there's there's elements of of the club want to let their you know players th- flourish as much as possible. Um, and and I often say this about other academies, namely namely Chelsea's at Cobham, that you know the strength of academy is not always based on how many players come through into the first team. It's how many players you can sell on for a profit, even if that's lower down the order, right? And if you're selling players to championship clubs to league one clubs to league two clubs you're making you know some sort of profit on on some of them and that feeds back into helping strengthen the academy pipeline because you can then reinvest it um and so i think it's important to to know that you know not all successes mean a player has to break through at fulham you know success might be selling a, a steven sessignon or, or whoever to a championship club next season who maybe got promoted a promoted championship club for you know a couple of million that that that's ideal, you know. That's that's actually you know a player who's come through and, and made the club money, and that's a good thing. Um, not every success is measured in whether they break into our first team or not. Um, and and so I would imagine that that Sonny Hilton's one. I was a bit surprised with it as well. Um, but I do wonder if that's to try and get him at a dominant side rather than a, a side scrapping at the bottom of the table. Is it better to have him in a, in a dominant league uh, league two side than a league one side who? don't have much of the ball considering the type of player that Sonny Hilton is. Um, now, I, I kind of thought he'd go top of League One, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, but that appears to be the offer that's come in. Um, there seems to be, you know, everyone seems to be pretty happy with it. And there was a lot of high talk on, on Fulham's website, etc., about the, that deal and, and why people are excited about it. So I think that's a good thing. Stephen Sessignon might be a little bit different. You know, he's, got, he's in a Charlton side there where he's going to, you know, have to play a slightly different role. And I wonder if that's a, 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 as much about finding out exactly where he plays because I don't think we've ever really come to the bottom of that conclusion. Is he a right centre-back? Is he a right-back? Is he a right-wing-back? We don't really know because we saw him kind of utilised in a lot of different roles. Um, so I wonder if that's just a question of going out and getting him minutes um, at, at a place where he will be able to you know, be part of a team that he feels comfortable in. Obviously, Charlton is not far away from from, from where kind of he grew up and that there will be a kind of family base there still that, that he can rely on and one that Fulham can keep an eye on very closely. Um, so that's that's a good thing, I think. Um, and I think it's just about getting these players and being able to let them show their worth. You know, and, and part of this is finding teams who will give them the opportunity to get those minutes, right? It's it's not necessarily firing off to the best possible club they could get to. It's about finding a team who, you know, would have spoken to Fulham about it and bought into the concept of being like, we want to, you know, help shape this team around the player you're giving us on loan and therefore making, you know, giving them the best possible opportunity to shine. And that I think is important. So I think it's just worth considering those things when we look at where these players are going. Okay. Next question uh, from John Witham. He says, hi guys, hopefully you're having a wonderful break. Now using your 2022 champions cheese board as a serving platter for Aperol spritzes and Pim's cup. Yes. The, uh, the champions cheese board uh, is astonishing. Uh, Did you manage to blag one of those for yourself, Peter, Uh, a champions cheese board? Uh, I haven't. 
as of When's yet. your birthday? What month's your birthday in? September, so not too long. So. Ah, okay, yeah, there we go, Jack. Then we'll club together and we'll get you a champion's cheese board. We will genuinely make that happen. Right. I'm reading all of these uh, transfer rumors and getting a little bit nervous. Some of the price tags on these players are giving me shades of 2018. However, the world is a much different place now than four years ago. How much have player prices inflated since our Seri Anguissa spending spree in that year? Is £17 million reported for Minamino not as high as it sounds? Now, obviously, the Minamino not happening, but he did send this email a couple of weeks ago, so we'll forgive him. But yeah interested to get your thoughts peter on the kind of average price of players you know 10 million pounds for andreas Pereira would have been a huge fee 10 years ago nowadays 10 million pounds feels a bit like what two or three million pounds used to feel like a, a decade or so ago yeah it's a good question um uh, I'm, I'm aware of giving too superficial an answer without delving into the numbers a little bit but i think if you talk about it in, in basic terms yeah i think prices have gone up significantly and there has been a football inflation um in in the past decade and you can pinpoint some some key moments as to why that's happened not least Neymar's transfer to James to Tompkins joining Crystal Palace for 10 million this. pounds I okay. knew he was going to say that <laughs> so predictable um but yeah and, and of course there's also inflation overall in the within the economy and, and that translates into football as well so um, those are key factors. I think what's been interesting is that the pandemic has probably deflated a little bit of that value, the, the, the silly heights that it was going to or threatened to to reach, uh, especially now when you have a lot of clubs in Europe who do not have the same amount of cash available to them. You kind of have a uh, an environment now where the Premier League clubs are almost Super League-esque, I suppose, but because their financial firepower is, it completely outguns a lot of Europe's top leagues. Um, there's a reason why Fulham have an interest in Alessio Romagnoli. As, as, as crazy as it may have seen, you know, he's a, he's a Serie, Serie A title winner, but even Fulham are in a position to offer him a, a good contract that could outcompete a European chasing team. So, um, that that's one of the more interesting elements to it. I, I don't think the the, the massive fees that the, the Neymar sort of transfer inspired and, and led to will get back to that point anytime soon because one clubs can't afford it, but also I feel like there's also been a, a sort of deflation. Um, but I, actually, to be honest, I actually think it's a little unsettled to actually know where where, it's, where the cards are going to lie because of yeah. because of all those factors. Um, but um, but yeah, as I say, without without probably going into the numbers, then it's difficult to note. But you you get these sort of transfers that act as barometers for the rest of rest of the the footballing world, and it's a small world because they're all all these transfers aren't they can be linked. So um, yeah, that's my answer. Basically, there is an inflation, and uh, yeah, and that's tied to not just the economy but also transfers within the game. Yeah. Well, um, before we finish, I've got um, two emails here. One is a this will catch on. One is just a regular email that we got like almost the same day that we recorded our final podcast. So they just didn't make the edit. But realistically, I'd have loved to have included both of them uh, in the final podcast of last year. The first is kind of a letter from Pau Garcia Fuster. I know you've seen this one, Jack. Um, this was such a lovely letter and I'm going to read, um, I'm going to summarise his letter a little bit. He says, hello, dear Fulhamish friends. What I like is that he starts off it by saying, I'm writing this email as an exercise for my English lesson and also as an honest, grateful to all of you. Um, so I like that we're just part of your English learning here, Pau. He says, despite being a Fulham fan from Catalonia from many years ago, this season has been the first one listening to the pod and I haven't missed one episode. The last one, the Fulhamish annual, uh, was a brilliant summary of an exceptional season. Um, it's been a perfect uh, way of me learning English, but also learning some Fulham history too with Sammy, Jack, Peter and all the rest. Thank you for bringing it to us every week for all I need to know about Fulham FC. I know that my story probably doesn't matter to anyone, but as I mentioned before, I want to tell you how a Catalan boy became a Fulham fan. He says, 15 years ago, I used to watch every Monday evening a Spanish TV show about international football called Fiera de Football. 
I don't know if I've pronounced that right, Jack. I've done my best, but it's uh, translated as football fever. This show had a regular Uruguayan commentator, Carlos Castellanos, who spoke every Monday about the Fulham result that weekend. One day he explained why he was a huge Fulham fan and talked about his father who moved to London in the 70s. Before his family could join him, he looked for the right English club to support and bring his kids to the stadium. That club was Fulham FC due to its atmosphere and familiar environments. Costellanos was a regular season ticket holder with his father many years at Craven Cottage. For instance, he always spoke about the impression that George Best made to him. His story caught my eye and since then I was interested about Fulham FC and its results, particularly the Europa League final against Atletico Madrid. He used to be a football referee. Uh, he refereed in the third division of Spain for more than 70 games. Um, and once he finished, he wanted a club to be more emotionally involved in. Uh, so he adopted Fulham FC. He said, finally, in August 2018, he went to London on holiday. And despite my wife hating football, I convinced her to attend a football match in order to live the experience. We bought two tickets for Fulham versus Burnley. We saw the amazing goal of Seri, Mitro being on fire and even Andre Sherla scored that day. I know what a match to choose. It was so impressive. We came back two more times at Craven Cottage. We've seen a defeat against Man City and a fantastic win against Bielsa's Leeds United in December 2019. Since then, COVID brought some distance between London and us, um, but their emotional relation has been more and more intense. I'm a regular Fulham membership. I support the Fulham Supporters Trust and I'm a subscriber to The Athletic just to read Peter piece Rutzler's pieces. The fact is we now have two boys, one-year-old twins with their Fulham mini kits, uh, probably the only kids with a Fulham shirt in Teresa, the city near to Barcelona where we live and my dream is to bring them to the cottage as soon as they will remember something as I don't want to have to wait four or five years to come back maybe I'll try and bring some mates uh, in the meantime who knows maybe we can join some of you in a Putney pub and have some pints before and after a Fulham victory in the top flight as I said before thanks for making me feel so close to Fulham and apologies for my long story come on you whites it's so nice. It made me so happy. Such a nice. I remember sending yeah. like we got this email at the same time, and I remember being like, "Sam, I'm quite upset. <laughs> I'm like genuinely quite emotional." Um, it's so lovely. Power is what a story. Thank you. It's just such yeah. lovely words. Yeah, lovely. We don't always read the the fully long letters that we get. Um, and your English is very, very good, pal. You should be very pleased. I'm very impressed uh, with that. Finally, uh, this will catch on. Again, this came in on the day of um, the final pod and I just didn't have enough time to turn it around. It's from Jake Shillingford. He says, hi guys, my name is Jake Shillingford. I'm a professional songwriter and I run a songwriting business. I had a bunch of hits in the 90s with my band called My Life Story and I'm a staunch FFC fan along with my father and my grandfather before him. I have written a song to celebrate our record-breaking championship winning season. Uh, The band is called The Tarquins. Um, I love that at Brentford. And this is a legit song. So I'm going to play you a minute of it now and then we'll play the full thing after the podcast has ended and I'm interested to get your opinions on this. there's a print you'll get the full thing at the end um it's available for download um we'll put a link in the um podcast jack your thoughts yeah it's great it's very 90s isn't it um i, I really like it it made, me very, it made me laugh it made me smile so um and i really enjoy the use of gentleman jim through the middle of it so <laughs> yeah excellent vibes all around as far as i'm concerned 
Yeah, it's quite football's coming home, isn't it, Peter? With the with the commentary and the rock song. Yeah, I, I, yeah, gentleman Jim makes it for me. It feels more authentic once you get Jim Jim's dulcet tones coming through off a rock background. But yeah, it's quite quite enjoyable. It's quite nice. Very professional, isn't it? Yeah, it's, well, yeah, it's very, very well, it's very well done. Very well done. Yeah, so um, we'll put a link to that in the podcast description. We'll also play it at the end. Um, it's available on a digital download and uh, you can support uh, Jake uh, and the good work that um, he's doing. We'll also put a link to their Facebook page. So I don't know if there's going to be, I mean, he's called the band the Tarquins. He can't just be a one hit wonder. So is this the start of a- Maybe we're going to get another Fulham, Fulham album. Yeah, I want like a full Fulham album. album. Yeah. I want a pl- I want a song for every different player, and the and the artwork to be um, just every player on a pitch where, with a different song, um, please. So maybe that can be the the job of the Tarquins, and we're more than happy to be your um, your radio station of choice, uh, where where we will play all of your latest singles. Um, Jake, thank you very much, and uh, yeah, full recording at the end of the podcast, and that is all for today. Uh, it's been absolutely wonderful um, to be back. Um, we've got a bit of a new thing that we'd like to do on some of the podcasts coming up. So you'll know that the way that we name some of the podcasts generally um, around is around the three word reviews after matches. We get you guys to give a three word review. Jack or whoever uh, reads some of the best ones and then selects the favourite one to be the name of the podcast. But on the Thursday Club, we've never known exactly what to name them because we don't have three word reviews to react to. Generally, they're we pretty will match this specific. Se- we will this season. There's a midweek yeah. fixture every second week. No, there's there barely any midweek fixtures. So we're going to have, um, but I love the three word pod titles. I just think it's really clean. But it's always better when it's user generated and it's not us um, coming up with it just because basically we get the brain power of more people. So what we're doing is if you're part of the Fulhamish community, um, I'm going to ask them uh, for every Thursday club and midweek pod where there's not an obvious uh, three word review to link it to for some pod names. And um, if you're part of the community, you can get involved in this. So I did that yesterday in the Fulhamish chat in there. Uh, We had a few different suggestions. Uh, Lou said... uh, TK's transfer crisis uh, was one of the names. Uh, Jacob was uh, announced new podcast, but I think the best one that we can go with for today, and it got the most thumbs up by far in the group, Dara Curran, Silver Signings Playbook um, as the the podcast title today. So really want to keep this going on a a regular basis. Uh, And thank you to those in the community that got involved with the name. Uh, And that is all for the podcast. As I said, we'll be at least once a week until the start of the season might even do a couple of doubles um where pre-season uh matches um permit it um but until next time uh have a lovely week peter rutzler thank you very much no thank you for having me sammy as always pleasure to be here and jack collins thank you no thank you sammy it's good to be back yeah it is indeed uh hope you enjoyed the podcast and we'll see you on the next one come on you whites you whites
goes on the overlap. Hobby back for Harry Wilson inside the box. Champion, champion, champion.